Is it Bubich or Bubik? I think it's Bubich. I feel uh, dirty either way. Welcome everyone to Royals Weekly, a brand spanking new podcast all about your Kansas City Royals. I'm Marcus Mead, your host and diehard Royals hopeful and joining me really for the last 35 years of my life, my less attractive twin brother, Mike. Say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike Mead, full-time Royals fan, full-time history teacher, part-time lover. For a little context, we just wanted to explain why we've started this podcast. We know you can get podcasts all over the place. You're drowning in podcasts. You listen to ones about serial killers, about comedians, about chefs. You listen to ones about chefs who do comedy and commit serial killings. Uh, There's just a ton of podcasts out there for you to listen to. But oddly, as I was looking for Royals content myself recently, I didn't find that many Royals podcasts and I wasn't finding a ton that I was super into. There are a couple out there that I really love. The Royals Farm Report podcast is fantastic. But I really wanted to see more commentary and more analysis and less uh, interviewing players and coaches who say the same old things. And so I decided I'd just do it myself. You know, I've written for Royals Farm Report. I've written for Kings of Kaufman and Baseball Prospectus. I know quite a bit about the Royals. Mike, he's I don't know. He does stuff, too. What do you do, Mike? Uh, I sometimes watch games and I read books about history, um, but I'm excited to learn the game. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Yes, uh, he's going to contribute a whole bunch, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And so we're going to get started with a weekly podcast, hopefully come to you every single week for about 45, 50 minutes, give you a weekly review of what's taken place uh, with the Royals that week. And then we'll do a segment every week of things we're focused on, things that are some interesting aspect of the team, like hot prospects or new signings or trends that we see that the team is um, happening within the team. Um, And then we'll give you a weekly preview, look ahead to the next week, what games are coming up, what difficult pitching matchups will the Royals face. And then for our last segment every week, we'll do a a segment that has nothing really to do with baseball. We call it just a bit outside. And we're going to focus on things that aren't baseball related, but are still fun to talk about for five minutes. I feel Um, like I'm going to thrive in that segment. I feel like that segment was built for me. I'm going to thrive there. That's where I'm going to live. Yeah, you know, just about, yeah, Mike's more uh, comfortable talking about things that are completely unrelated to the topic at hand. Um, And so we're going to get started this week with a quick little weekly review uh, for this week. The Royals have started spring training games Um, over the course of this first week of spring training. The Royals have gone five and two, Uh, seen some strong performances. We've seen some weak performances. Mike, who do you feel has impressed you so far? Well, I'd like to start by saying we've seen a lot of weak performances. I'm not, I haven't been wholeheartedly impressed with the team as a whole, um, but it is the first week of spring training. It's not a great importance. It's not the end all be all, Um, but you know, you come out of a long winter and you want to, you want to be excited by the guys you see. And and I haven't been really, really excited, but there have been some people who have had some strong, strong weeks. I'm going to go with uh, two guys that went today that had really strong days today uh, Mike Miner looked great in his first uh, real two-inning chunk today. Um, I wasn't expecting a lot from him, but I was reading reports of 94 off off of the mound. So that's, I mean, for him, that's that's quite an uptake. Somebody said he was averaging 90 something last year. Um, so if you can get something out of Mike Miner, I think that's that's a great uh, addition. And then of course the one everybody loves, and he finally had a, a big game today. Bobby Witt Jr. Um, hit a two run home run had another hit uh, really being productive for the Royals. And he was at the top of the lineup today, which is an interesting spot. I, I don't know if long-term he's a leadoff guy, but um, I want to see him hit. And, and it was great to see. Yeah. I think I, with Bobby Wood jr. I've always got this impression that 
it's he's right there. Like it's right on the surface. It's it's just about to cross over to competent against major league pitching. I also wonder too about like he seems to have a pretty quick learning curve. Like uh, he went from like the first he's played almost every game of the spring training and early on you could tell he wasn't quite on the pitching he was quite a little bit um outmatched not like lost or anything at the plate he clearly had some competence against those pitchers um but he was clearly also not used to the level of stuff that a major league caliber pitcher would come out with and then each time i see him play he's just sort of taking a little bit, a little step forward, a little bit like he's learning every, every time he goes up there. And then of course today he belts that huge home run. Um, and he's also like seemingly showing a pretty solid approach at the plate. He's not up there just hacking away, trying to make an impression. Yeah, he really looks like he's going up there with a purpose. And I think that's hugely important for the development of a young player, especially in the Royals organization, which has had such a poor track record of helping players develop an approach at the plate. Um, it seems like he's already going to have one to build from. And I think that's only going to quicken his um, his path to the major leagues. Um, I'm not the type of person who thinks he's going to be here in 2021. I really don't want him here in 2021. <laughs> I want him here in 2022, maybe. Um, but uh, it's nice to see a prospect who's got so much hype behind him sort of uh, really showing out in spring training this year. Um, agreed. But that was kind of the thing that I was holding on to early because he was getting into games at bat here, at bat there kind of thing. Um, but I was holding on to the fact that that approach did look good. Like it still looked okay. Yeah. Was not making solid contact early on, but I was like, you know, the solid contact I think will come if the approach is still good. And we saw it today uh, with some, some better contact. And even in the last couple, last game or two, um, there was good contact. He hit a ball really hard to right field in a single yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. Um, but that was good to see. It's good to see yeah. the approach is good. I think his contact will, his barrel control, the contact will come or the hard contact will come. And uh, that's what you want. And somebody I read the other day said his exit velocity right now in spring training is really high. So when yeah. he is making, he, yeah, when he is making contact and he's, which is he's, his approach is going to let him do that. He's uh, he's hitting it hard. So that's what you want. Yeah, and that's what they've seen in the past from him and his very limited time in uh, professional baseball is those uh, exit velocity numbers look really good. So you know that when when the contact is made, it's going to be solid. And, and, uh, it, it, and he doesn't look like he's having the contact issues that some worried he might have coming out of high school. He's, he's making uh, enough contact to where his power is going to play up. He's making enough contact to um, – where it doesn't look like he's going to have 30% strikeout rates or anything like that at the major league level, um, closer you, to 20 and maybe even under that. And you can count me in that group. I, I thought that was going to be a big issue for him, but he, uh, he seems to have, you know, proven this baseball genius wrong, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's uh, move on a little bit to those who maybe didn't have such a great week. I'll talk a little bit about the young pitchers. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Lynch, Coar, and uh, Chris Bubich. Is it Bubich or Bubich? I think it's Bubich. Uh, I feel baseball, dirty either way. I think the baseball reference people say it's boo bitch, but you know, that also makes me feel weird to call somebody boo bitch. That just sounds, it sounds wrong in some ways too. You kiss our um, mother with that mouth. Huh? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So he struggled mightily today. Um, he um, had a terrible line. I'll, I'll look it up really quickly, but he was, he's the only one of that 2018 class that has struggled. Uh, Lynch had some struggles in his first outing. Um, and then Coar looked real bad, um, I think, yesterday coming in for what was good, uh, supposed to be probably two or three innings, but I don't think he made it out of uh, uh, the second inning he pitched. Bubich's line today, one and two-thirds, five hits, five runs, all of them earned. 
Um, it looked like he just had a really had tough time finishing guys off and they were really um, putting the ball uh, or the bat on the ball today against him. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about him later, but those, those three just really seem to struggle. And it, it might've been something like nerves. Uh, you can kind of sometimes see that out of some of them. Uh, Kowar, I know, came out yesterday, didn't have his breaking ball, struggled with his fastball, which we'll, we'll get into later. And I've written about before. Uh, Lynch, when he came out also, it was command. It's basically been command with Lynch and Kowar so far. Bubich has also struggled with it. Um, and you might expect that somewhat early on in spring training. So I'm not like writing them off or anything like that. They had a rough week and hopefully they sort of, they can bounce back from that, but it's going to be a lot. A lot of that's going to be focused on their command. Can they put the, the ball in the strike zone where they need it to be? Um, and if they can, I think their stuff will show. Um, but I worry a little bit about their ability to do that. Luckily, I don't think any of them are in the running for the uh, pitching staff at the major league level uh, to start, uh, except for Bubich, of course. Um, I think I think they're going to give it to him. I think they're just going to. I think they're going to. I I think they're going to give it to Bubich too. But I wonder. A part of me wonders too, like if Bubich pitches bad enough, um, would they think about, say, giving it to, you know. Uh, Santana or or would they just say like I think they could roll with a five-man rotation without Bubich my hands let me get out my hands to do some counting here um (laughs) if you have Singer if you have Keller if you have Duffy if you have Minor who's the who's the Hernandez if he pitches really well Hernandez I don't think they're giving it to Hernandez Uh, Uh, but if if they want Irv to make the team though he's pitched so bad so far as well um but I don't I don't think there's a dark horse candidate so I do think they give it to Bubich I mean, let but, me look real um, quickly. We might have, we, really, might, we might be able to find a dark horse in there somewhere. He really, he really hasn't pitched all that well. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, Junis, wonder if, like, do you want him, do you want Junis oh, to be that, that guy? Or do that's you want an interesting dark horse candidate? Yes. I think they're going to stretch cutter. out Junis. They're going to stretch out Junis. They won't need a fifth starter for a while. Right. And so, you know, if Junis pitches really well and Bubich continues to struggle throughout spring training, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Bubich gets sent to triple a, to um well to the alternate site first and then to triple a eventually if, if if it gets that far to just pitch and uh, and try and find um some command because if he doesn't have it i don't think if they're truly interested in competing i don't think they're going to be like let's run him out there every fifth day to get shelled um and so uh yeah they, and, the young and, and to pitch four innings week, or five innings yeah yeah because he has trouble with his pitch efficiency as well mm-hmm. and so uh we'll talk about yeah. we'll talk about that all later yeah. Um, I, so it's just one week, you know, it's just one week for the young pictures. Who knows if they pick it up again next week and they look fantastic, maybe they will. Um, but I, uh, they really, they, they, they didn't have the sort of impact. I think a lot of Royals fans were hoping for this week. We have some uncertainty with this pitching staff, uh, which is kind of makes it for a little more intrigue, at least in spring training. Uh, <laughs> and so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that, how that develops anymore. Um, I'm also been interested in the impact of the on-base oriented players that they, that they've, signed and or traded for uh, this week uh, I noticed they had one game a few weeks ago or a few days ago where they had six walks in a row and scored like one or two runs that inning without a hit uh, and so th- that's like that's not Royals baseball we'll just say that like um, the, the Carlos Santana's the Andrew Benintendi's you know people taking walks on this team pretty is... sure it was none of those guys too really I, yeah I watched that I, I watched that game. I think it was on, I think it was on TV or I listened to it and yeah, they were walking and they walked a lot. Um, but it, I, I don't know that it was either, any of those guys. Uh, I don't think Ben and Teddy was playing that day. Um, but it, I mean, I would throw, if you're saying who struggled, I'm throwing Carlos Santana on that list. 
but I didn't expect a lot from Carlos Santana. So, you know, I, he, I think we know exactly what he is now. You hope that yeah, he I'm not walks more than he has, but, and then you think he probably will. He's got a long track record of doing that. Um, but I don't expect him. I don't expect the hit. I don't expect the, him to hit like he did back in the day because he's old and, you know, that's how it's gone for him in the last few years. Um, one guy I did, I forgot to mention in the strong week, and I'm a big dumb dumb for doing that, Kyle Isbell. Uh, the guy is like my personal hero. Um, I saw somebody do a David DeJesus comp the other day. I thought that was like spot on. He's never going to be a superstar, but you might get six strong years out of a Kyle Isbell, um, you know, and he's, he's hit. I mean, I think he's got he's three at, or eight at bats. He's got three hits and a walk. Um, and he'll play a really, really good left field, a, a above average right field and a, an average center field, I think. So. Yeah. You're talking uh, had, six had years. Of, you're talking six years that maybe three to four war consistently, right? Like, they, uh, which is when that's wins above replacement for the uninitiated. Um, so six years of three to four war is a very valuable player. And I thought I love that comp too. I think that's really, really mm-hmm. fitting. Um, I wanted to throw in, I think one of those, uh, on base oriented players. I remember uh, in the telecast for one of these games recently, uh, Hanser Alberto took two walks in a game, which for him is like, <laughs> you know, stumbling across diamonds or something, you know, like that, that's never happened. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's like, so I go down to first now, or should I go that way? Is it to well, third? He doesn't Matias took a walk today. Sule Matias. Direction. <laughs> one at bat, he walked. <laughs> Uh, crap my pants this, this must be a this must be a very new and disorienting experience for some of these royals uh, <laughs> no to kidding. see like you know uh what what did you say there are four balls you can get four you can get to four is that a thing <laughs> uh yeah it must be a very uh very very unsettling but i like to see it you know i've the sort of it's nice to see that the royals have caught up to, to early 2000s thinking <laughs> on uh on how teams should get on base and score runs <laughs> getting on base is a good thing yeah yeah who, who knew it who knew you know i don't know uh, Okay, we're, we're going to move uh, into a, a quick break uh, quickly to sort of encourage you to, um, to like and, and, and rate us. And then we'll be right back with a, a segment talking about the players we're looking forward to uh, following this season. If you like what you're hearing so far, or even if you don't, please, please, please take the time to give us a five-star rating and review. Uh, it helps others find the show and it helps us build a better Royals community. If you leave us a good rating and review, we will make sure to give you a shout out in an episode of Royals Weekly and perhaps read a small snippet of your review. Also, follow us on Twitter at Royals Weekly and interact with us. Send us questions. Uh, We'll try and live tweet some games from time to time. We'll throw out Royals commentary and analysis on there as well as we sort of try and build a listener base for everybody and, and a nice little Royals community to have fun interactions with and yell at each other on Twitter. Okay, we're back, and uh, I know spring training is a hopeful time, so let us try and keep it hopeful by focusing on players we're excited to follow this season. Uh, and if you know Mike and I at all, you know these aren't likely to be uh, the names everybody's talking about. These are probably going to be pretty deep cuts. So the words Adalberto and Mondesi will not leave our mouths in this segment because, of course, everybody's interested in watching him. He's everybody's breakout star for the seventh year in a row. And so uh, we're going to focus on some other players who might have a, an, an impact on the team as well. Uh, so, Mike, who are you most interested to follow this season? Uh, this may sound a little confusing because we did a little bashing on him earlier in the uh, podcast, but I, I'm interested in following Chris Bubich. I, I want to see if this guy can improve his command. I, I went back and watched every start he had last year, and I saw so many things that I liked. You mean in 2019? No, I mean in 2020. 
Oh, that's right. Because he was on the team. I keep yeah. forgetting that he's not really a minor leaguer. <laughs> no, he's not. And that's the thing. Like he should, you mentioned it earlier. He might be a little nervous. The command might be off. He shouldn't be nervous. He's got, you know, a handful of major league starts under his belt. Um, but his, you, you saw it back then too. His, his command of his fastball, because his fastball is not overpowering. Yes. His changeup is phenomenal. It's a great pitch. It's an out pitch. I think, I think he can get guys to swing and miss and, and put people away. But because his fast ball command is not great, um, everything kind of plays down. He needs to be able to get some early outs with a well-placed fastball. Um, and then you throw on top of that his curveball, I guess you could say. Um, it, it's very it's very slurvy, so I call it a curveball. Um, and I think he probably does too. And it's not a bad pitch. It gets good movement for sure. But I, I mean, you and I talked about this last week he will lose control of that pitch a handful of times in a game, like spins out of the back of his hand and is a foot and a half high. Like you see in college a lot, um, which he was a college pitcher. So, I mean, we, we would hope and long in his development, he would get a little better control of that. Um, so in order to, and I kind of told you, I think, I think there's like a two-step process. Nothing gets better until he improves command with that fastball, I don't think. And then if he really does that, he really takes it over the top, He'll get more consistent with that curveball. And then people aren't just sitting there waiting for a fastball, ignoring a changeup and ignoring a curveball. I mean, you do not, you don't have to look for that curveball at all. And then there's some guys who will just sit there and wait for that um, changeup, even though it's a really good pitch, if you know it's coming at some point, because you know it's either fastball or changeup, that all you have to worry about, they, they get they tag him for that. So, and you and I talked about his pitch, pitch and efficiency. So what I want to see is this year. Does Chris Bubich improve his fastball command? Um, I would like to see that. Right. And if he wants to be a consistent starter, if he wants to stay in a starting rotation, nobody's going to let him stay in that rotation if he can only go four innings and outing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not, his pitch efficiency isn't good enough. He doesn't put hitters away enough. He doesn't get those early outs enough to get deep into games, a la Danny Duffy earlier in his career when he really struggled to get those early outs or to put guys away sometimes because when hitters can eliminate pitches, when they can pick pitches, they don't have to focus on, then that makes it so much easier to hit the, the, the pitches that are left. Right. So if they eliminate the, you know, curveball because he, they, he's not hitting the strike zone with it, if they eliminate the fastball because he's not hitting the strike zone with it, you know, and they're sitting on a changeup or vice versa. If they say, I'm going to sit on a fastball because he's not hitting his changeup and his curveball in the strike zone today. And his fastball is not overpowering and he leaves one in the middle of the plate. It's, it's just, it's a launching pad. Um, yeah. And, and that's so, what I noticed you know, most. That's what I noticed most with the fastball. It wasn't that he was missing the zone. He was getting way too much of it. Um, <laughs> and so guys were really barreling up to all fields, this fastball. And you're like, okay, yeah, it's on the outside corner or it's on the outside a little bit, but it's up. Um, yeah. And so they're hitting it the other way. I mean, the, the, the white Sox multiple times, I know they're a good team. Um, they, they, they hit them around a little bit. So, uh, yeah, just getting too much of the plate with that fastball is, is a problem. Yeah. And that'll be something I hope that, uh, he continues to work on. And I, I'm going to sort of bring up a pitcher too, in the same draft class as Bubich, uh, for my first player that I'm interested in watching and that's Jackson Kowar. Um, He's had a couple outings this spring, hasn't been stellar in either one of them, Was really got hit around yesterday. Um, but I had a ton of hopes for Coar coming out of college, coming out of Florida. One of those 2018 draft picks um, taken uh, just after Singer, I think 33rd overall. Um, 
I had huge hopes for Kowar because I love guys who throw dominant changeups and he throws a dominant changeup, right? A 70 grade changeup at least um, with just an amazingly beautiful pitch, which I watched every start Kowar, well, every start Kowar made at um, AA Northwest Arkansas in 2019. I've, I've been watching them uh, recently and I've seen all of them and you can tell that his changeup is virtually unhittable. When it's right, it's virtually unhittable. Um, and, and that's great. The problem is his fastball gets hit all the time. I mean, all the time. So I, I, I've been having sort of a back and forth with people about this. And I wrote an article about it for Royals Farm Report. Um, there are people out there who believe it's his curveball that needs help. They're sort of down on his curveball. I like his curveball. I think his curveball is good enough. I think it's about a 50 to 55 grade pitch. He commands it really well. And that plays it up. Um, yesterday when he didn't have anything going for him yesterday. Um, so his curveball, he, he had trouble getting it in the strike zone as well. And that's the biggest reason why he struggled besides the hitability of his fastball. Um, but it's really his fastball that's going to give him lots of trouble. And I wanted to sort of shout out to um, the Royals Farm Report podcast and at a guest they had on recently, a, a man named Travis Ice, who was a scout for the Los Angeles Angels for a while. Um, he sort of solved this problem for me because all through 2019, when I'm watching Kowar's starts, I'm like, boy, his fastball gets hit a lot. Uh, and I was like, well, why, why does his fastball get hit so much? And ice pointed out that, you know um, it's his extension, right? His extension numbers are bad. And if you don't know what extension is, it's literally how far do you extend as a pitcher before you let go of the ball? So how far, how close to the plate are you when you let go of the ball, the further you are, uh, or the, the further you extend, the closer you are to the plate, when you let go, it makes your fastball look faster, right? It allows your fastball to play up, um, gives your, the hitter less of a chance to see it, right? Um, and it turns out that despite the fact that Kowar is like 6'5", he has a very short extension. And I went and I watched some scouting videos of him, and it turns out he's a very short strider. He doesn't actually stride out to like the length you would expect somebody his height to stride out. And as a result, hitters see his fastball a lot, very easily. And then you go back and you watch his starts. And when he's getting rocked on his fastball, it looks like the hitters are seeing it very clearly. Um, and so I went back and I watched the outing he had yesterday. And I actually took some notes here, just tracking every, um, every fastball he threw. And I wanted to see like, well, what do these numbers look like on this fastball? What, what actually happened on them? Uh, and I don't know why, but for some reason I... Uh, didn't keep them pulled up because I'm an idiot. Uh, and so there it is. Um, what we saw is he threw, I think he ended up throwing almost exactly, yeah, he threw exactly 40 pitches, 21 of them were fastballs and they let him face uh, LA's, the Dodgers, the top of their lineup. So Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Max Muncie, guys who are professional hitters and just won a world series last year. And he tried to throw a lot of fastballs. He threw 21 fastballs of this 40 pitches he threw. Uh, and of the, of those 21, nine of them were balls. One was a strike looking. Six were foul balls and five were put in play. That's four hits and one line out at what had to be close to 100 miles per hour exit velocity. Right? He got exactly zero swinging strikes on his fastball. Uh, and he only threw one that was a strike looking. All the others that he got strikes on were foul balls. Um, and so that sort of shows you they're seeing his fastball. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have uh, what it takes to actually get swings and misses off of it. And so that's going to be a problem for him moving forward. And, and you it might that, be a problem for him in AAA. 
You know that especially because he's he's humming it in there at 98. If you're humming it in there at 98, 99, whatever, I mean, he's really bringing 97 to 99, and you're not getting swinging misses with a fastball, you know there's a problem there. There has to be. It makes me yeah, wonder I think if, he's, I didn't I didn't realize he was a short strider. I didn't realize like that. I knew you had mentioned the extension. I didn't kind of because I read your article um, in Royals Farm Report, but I didn't connect, hey, the extension problem is a stride. Is a, is a you know related to the fact that he does not stride out really far. A lot of times, those guys who are short striders uh, rely more on a two seam fastball because they're getting a lot of downward playing because they're shorter striders, you know. Um, but that's obviously not what it, he's not that pitcher. That's not what he does. Um, yeah, so that's super interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah, and a two seam changeup profile isn't super common in my experience. Like they just yeah. because a two seamer is going to give you arm side ride, it's going to move towards the pitcher's throwing arm into a right handed batter for a right handed pitcher. Um, you don't see a ton of it because the changeup moves in a similar way; it tumbles and fades toward the pitcher's throwing arm, cool. and so you, you don't see a ton of uh, two seam fastball changeup profiles. I don't think, but it might be what's best for him. You know, I, he needs to have a solution for that fastball problem. Well, well let me ask. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a comment, and then I want to ask you a question. See what you think. I don't think a two seam fastball is the the answer for him, even though he is a short strider and the downward plane because he's so tall. Um, but when you have a changeup as your second best pitch, you're now you're now uh, changing the differential and the speeds. You're dramatically, dramatically, dramatically reducing it. So you don't throw a two seam fastball as hard usually, um, and so he's going to lose some of the effectiveness of that changeup in that sense. And you don't want to do that. Here's my question: Would a cutter be better? Because I saw somebody put that out there on Twitter the other day. Is he the kind of guy that needs to possibly move to a cutter? It'll go, it'll go the other way. He might be able to throw it a little harder than a two-seam fastball. Um, what do you think? Yeah, um, I got that question from Drew Osborne, another writer from Royal Farm Report the other day on Twitter. And I have a harder time seeing that. Then, so we saw a story this about this offseason about um, Junis moving to a cutter, adding a cutter that looked really good in his first outing. Um, but Junis has that slider. He has this natural sort of movement to his, this pronation, to his throwing motion that allows the cutter to naturally fit what he's doing. I'm not sure Kowar has that. Um, I think it's a better, it's a better profile to have that cutter than it is to have a two seamer. Um, but I think the ultimate solution for him, like before any, any, before any addition of pitches is just get better command with your fastball, right? He, he can get it up to 97, 98, he sits more 95, uh, even 94 to 96 in, in that range. Um, he can be okay with that if he can spot that fastball. Today, he could not. I mean, he, he, he could not throw that thing where he wanted it to go. And as a result, or yesterday, I mean, uh, as a result, guys just teed off on him um, because it was very easy to see when it wasn't a strike. And when it was, uh, it was too, too much of the plate and they were just letting loose on it. Um, I also think pitch mix is another is another answer for him. He needs to get away from the notion of throwing 50% fastballs. He needs to get into the mindset of throwing something more like 30 to 40% fastballs and rely more heavily on his changeup and curveball. He wanted to do that in the start yesterday. You could tell because he's when he's getting hit with on this fastball, he's, he starts going to his curveball, but it's not finding the zone either. If his curveball isn't finding the zone, he's in deep trouble, right? Because his fastball is too hittable. Um, when his curveball is working, he can make it work 
because he'll get a lot of ground balls off his changeup and in tough spots and get like double play balls. He had a, he had a ball hit into the alley to Bobby Witt Jr. yesterday that could have maybe been turned to, you know, to, they could have turned two on and he kind of bobbled it coming out of his glove and they only got, they only got one and then the grand slam got hit. Um, and so, you know, it could have maybe looked a little different on paper um, yesterday uh, if that ground ball had been turned into a double play, but ultimately they have to find a solution for this fastball command issue. And that for this fastball issue in general, if he's going to reach his potential, right? So right now I think you put him in the majors He's a four and a half ERA guy. He basically looks like Chris Bubic on paper, right? He's a four and a half ERA guy. You know, maybe he can be league average for you or slightly below and give you a lot of starts because he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to get hurt a lot. Um, but if you can improve that fastball, either get it, make its command sharper, uh, change the pitch mix or, and or add a cutter or change something up to make it a little bit more dynamic, um, then I think he rises to the, to the level of num solid number three or maybe even solid number two if he really figures it out. Um, so I'll, I'll be looking at Coar. I'll be watching a lot of MILB.TV, watching Coar starts in AAA because um, that's a tough league. They can hit fastballs in the what used to be the Pacific Coast League and is now the AAA West or whatever they're calling it. Um, so if there's a chance he might struggle mightily at AAA, but if he, if he figures it out, he might show them that he's ready to come to the major leagues. Cause that's his, that's all he's got left is figuring out what to do with the fact that his fastball is not dominant. This is the idea that just popped in my head. What if we started naming the AAA leagues after AAA legends? Cause I want to go see a game in the Kia Kaya Hue uh, <laughs> league. You know, <laughs> you'll, and, you'll uh, see uh, the Kia Kaya Hue championships. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. No, uh, last thought on Kovar for me. Uh, I think if you move him to the majors, like if he's in the majors now, I don't even think he'd be a starter. I think you have, you'd have to put him in the bullpen. Uh, but yeah, I hope, I, I agree. I think, again, command with that fastball is going to be the biggest thing. Um, I really liked his, and, and, and I'm not as high on his changeup as, as you are. Um, I think it's a great pitch. I think it's his best pitch. Um, I just don't think it's elite, elite right now. Um, but I do like that curveball. I'm, I'm saying with you, I think he could be really effective with that curveball. I just don't, you know, sometimes he doesn't have the command of it. And I can see how that could be, you know, um, you've got kind of a field pitch and a changeup, and then you're trying to throw the curveball too. And then you can't spot your fastball. Those are all, all negatives. Yeah. It's a recipe for disaster when they're not on, um, when you only throw three pitches and two of them aren't working, you're in trouble. Yeah. And that's, that's really what it was yesterday. I think yesterday just was one of his, you know, they say you have as a pitcher, you're going to get, you know, a third of the time you're going to have your best stuff. A third of the time you're going to have average stuff. And a third of the time you're going to have your worst stuff. Yesterday was one of those days when he was going to have his worst stuff. Uh, it just, it wasn't working at all. Like none of his pitches were going where they want, where he wanted them to. A lot of them weren't moving the way he wanted them to. Um, and so that's part of it. You know, he just had a really bad day. Um, but I'll be interested to see like consistency wise, how does that fastball look? And then uh, if, if it starts looking better, uh, I think he'll be fine at AAA. And if it doesn't, he, he might have a rough start to the season. Um, but let's talk a little bit about some hitters now. I mean, we talked about pitching enough. Um, let's get into the hitters, the exciting new uh, trade uh, trade for the Royals, uh, a Boston guy, uh, Andrew Benintendi. I know you want to talk about him. Yeah. Uh, so normally I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick a guy like this. Um, but he intrigues me a little bit more than others because of the success that he had in Boston, because it seems like when he had success, it was as a player that fits Kauffman stadium very, very well. 
um, high doubles numbers, low strikeout numbers, um, pretty good walk rate, uh, just doing really, really, really well in, in a situation where, you know, Boston's more of a bombers ballpark in a sense, although they've got the big, uh, alley and right center. Um, but I, I think he fits Kauffman stadium. Well, if he's doing the things he was doing then 2017 was a great year for Andrew Benintendi in 2018, it got better. Okay. Ten, we're talking a 10% walk rate for the Royals is great. Um, 16% strike rate is great anywhere. Um, and he had, had an OPS of 831. You know, he was worth four, almost four and a half war in 2018. And everybody's like, okay, this is kind of the future of or part of a big piece of the future of Boston baseball. Of course, 2019 comes. And if you listen to him, he talks about how he tried to muscle up and hit more home runs. And you kind of see um, the result of that that you commonly see when guys do that. His K rate went up, his walk rate went down, still worth two war, but we, the Royals need him to go back to that style of play that was successful for him in 2017 and 2018. If they can get that, then he becomes kind of a, I, I, you know, they call him the glue guy, an exciting kind of guy who can get on base and drive in runs, you know? So he becomes a versatile part of a lineup, not somebody you're trying to hide behind somebody else because, you know, he can't get on base or he can't drive in runs. So um, that's, I'm really excited to see what he can do. If he can be that 2017 or 2018 version, his game fits Kauffman stadium really, really well. Kind of like a Ben Zobrist without the vers defensive versatility, right? Like yeah. Oh gosh. The guy who's going to yeah. maybe without the quite the walk rate too, but, um, mm -hmm. or, or Alex Gordon at his, the best there. version of him, which is yeah. like, you know, uh, going to walk maybe a little higher K rate, a little bit more power maybe. Um, but so, uh, Ben Intendi looks like he's getting back to that a little bit in spring training. I think he's a little. at least two doubles already he hit one today. I know. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it looks like he's trying to get back to that, uh, which is good news for him and good news for the Royals because a park that size is really going to play for somebody who is an all-fields hitter, somebody who wants to put the ball in gaps and run. Um, and the Royals just desperately need that on-base ability. I mean, they, they they have guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They have Jorge Soler. They have Salvador Perez. Santana can probably still get it out. Maybe if, you know, he takes his walker or his rascal and rides it out past the fence. Because Ginko um, Biloba today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's mean. We're trying to try to be Asia's towards, uh, towards yeah. Carlos Santana. Lovely guy. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I think like what they really need are table setters. They need people who are going to get on base ahead of those guys. And uh, Ben Intendi looks like he uh, has the ability to do it. So hopefully he can get back to the 2018 version of himself, which I think is ultimately in his best interest too. I don't think he's sticking around Kansas city beyond the two years he's here. So if he wants to make some money in a couple of years, he'll put up two 2018 like seasons and go make himself a boatload of money on the free agency market. Yeah. In a big ballpark like San Diego or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. San Diego. Well, anywhere really. Cause I think he's learned his lesson now about like, even if he's in a tiny ballpark, that's not his game, you know, it's like, not, uh, yeah. and he'll, he'll, you know, put him in a, put him in a ballpark like Baltimore, put him in, uh, uh, you know, uh, Camden, that, that fan box that they, that they play in and he'll hit you 20, 25 home runs, but he needs to not try and hit 30 or 35 um, because then he's in trouble and he's wasting all of his value. Yeah. I don't, I don't expect more than 15 in Kaufman if he's doing things right. If he's, if he's, if he hits 15 home runs and 35 to 45 doubles, Andrew Bennett and, and has that, that uh, 10% walk, walk rate, 
Benintendi is doing exactly what you need him to do. Oh yeah. He's definitely a four or five war player with a season like that. Uh, yeah. Because just, there's just no way he couldn't be unless he drops like 20 routine fly balls in some way. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to his season to see sort of what he brings to the table as well. I'll bring up another hitter who sort of doesn't not nearly have the track record of Andrew Benintendi. I'll tell you that. Um, and that's Nicky Lopez. Uh, we all, a lot of people had hopes for him. He's sort of a, he's a, the type of guy Royals fans always root for, right? Um, wasn't a superstar draft pick, wasn't a superstar in college, relatively local because he went to Creighton. Um, but you know, we love ourselves like a, a good defending, slap hitting, scrap, we call them scrappy type of guys, you know. Um, and so, you know, I was hopeful for him. I never had, I was never, I was never convinced he would hit at the major league level. And so far he really hasn't. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about his journey here because there are people talking about him in the same way they talked about Benintendi a little bit. So Alec Lewis, who's a fantastic writer for The Athletic, if you don't read his stuff, you absolutely should. He covers the Royals and he is just next level good as a beat writer. Um, and so uh, he, but he said something the other day in, in a mailbag that he wrote or he was doing uh, that, that, you know, I was perplexed by, right? He, he mentioned that like uh, Nicky Lopez had bulked up before last season and he said to hit for more power. And I was like, that's not true, right? Like you, you've shifted the narrative a little bit there, right? Like it wasn't to hit for more power, right? The book on Lopez after his rookie year coming into last year, coming into the beginning of last season was he doesn't literally hit the ball hard enough to get hits and get on base, right? Like he just doesn't have the muscle to swing and get good exit velocities and the more exit velocity you have the more hits you have right it wasn't about hitting more home runs or more extra base hits necessarily uh the book on him was he's gotten stronger so he can just literally hit the ball harder um and so i thought that was a great move by him i thought yes you do need to hit the ball harder your exit velocities are not good enough to make it at the major league level right um rarely do you see hitters like whit merrifield who whit merrifield has relatively average exit velocities but because he almost always finds the right, um, I'm going to call it launch angle, but that makes it sound like I'm talking about home runs. Um, because he always has the right trajectory off the bat or a, a pretty good one, he ends up getting a lot of these sort of like bloop singles to right or soft line drives to right, left center, like all over the park, right? Um, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't hit a ton of ground balls that then get turned into outs. That's what Nicky Lopez does, right? Um, so the issues going into last year, I was thinking were you need to hit the ball harder. And you need to stop hitting the ball on the ground so much. And I'm basically on the exact same train for Nicky Lopez this year, right? I don't think he's going to hit the ball harder because he sort of abandoned this, I need to get stronger thing. And maybe that's okay. Maybe the, maybe the muscle hurt his flexibility and maybe he just needs it to sort of be who he is in terms of muscle and muscle mass and sort of find other ways to, to get hits and get on base. But he does need to hit the ball he does need to hit more line drives and fewer ground balls, right? And that's what's really tough for him. He can't hit fly balls because they're not leaving the park. And if they're not leaving the park, they're going into gloves, right? And so he needs to hit line drives and he needs to find a way to make sure he's spraying them all over the field, right? If you look at his um, batted ball data from last season, uh, he shifted dramatically towards pulling the ball. So uh, pre-2020, he was pretty much an even hitter across the field. He would actually hit it a little bit more to the opposite field than he would to the pull field for him, right field. Um, but
but it was pretty evenly spread out among left, right, and center, right? Uh, the, the, his spray chart would look fairly even, right? If you look at 2020, he went to a 43% poll rate, a 22% opposite field rate. That is not going to do it for him. That's not his game at all. But I feel like pitchers also know this, and so they pitch him inside a lot, right? They pitch him inside because they know he doesn't have the strength to, pull, to come through this ball, to, to get it and pull it hard somewhere, right? And so we're going to live inside on him and just essentially knock the bat out of his hand, right? And so it's going to be tough for him if he doesn't find a solution to that problem. He needs to spray the ball all across the field. He needs to go to the opposite field, but he also needs to find out what am I going to do with that inside fastball because I really can't turn on it and you know nail it out of the park. I have to find a way to turn on it enough to get it down a line and to stop hitting the ball on the ground, right? He needs to stop hitting the ball on the ground so much because again, he doesn't hit it hard enough to make the, these sort of ground balls become like hard hit ground balls through the every the 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 softer you hit a ground ball, the easier it is for the defense to field, right? And so he just doesn't hit it hard enough to, to be like an Ichiro Suzuki type ground ball spraying it all over the place here because it's, they're not going to get through for him, right? That, and he's not that's, super what fast. I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask you about too. Like, and, and you bring up Ichiro because that's one of the ones that came to my mind. I'm thinking of Ichiro, Suzuki, and Kenny Lofton, which obviously Nikki Lopez is neither of those dudes. <laughs> um, but can you think of a guy today or even one in the recent past who – that has been his game. That has been his profile. Like, Hey, you know what? He, he doesn't hit home runs. He, but he does slap it to all fields very well and runs well enough to turn some, you know, infield grounders into hits and get on base that way. I can't honestly today. And even in the recent past, I can't think of a Nori Aoki. I mean, but he was, eh. uh, yeah, I can't think of anyone either. And the truth is none of the people we're going to think of, are as slow as Nicky Lopez is. <clears throat> Nicky Lopez slow. isn't super slow. He's not super slow, but he's certainly not Ichiro Suzuki or Kenny Lofton. Right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> or even like a, if you remember those um, excellent Marlins teams from the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, he's not even like a Luis Castillo. Right? I was thinking of he's Castillo. Not, he's yeah. not even like, a, you know. I loved Luis. If Luis Castillo was here today, I was like the leader of that fan club back then. He's not even a, a, an Emilio Bonifacio. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, or Jorge for that. Okay. You know, but, but there are a lot of there are a lot of these sort of contact middle infielder guys, right? But they don't hit the ball on the ground as much as you would think they would, right? So he's not a Ryan Terrio. He's not a David Eckstein. You know, he's not even those guys who weren't super fast, but hit the ball in the hit line drives more. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and, and the Ryan and so he, Ryan Terrio. Oh my and, god. And he needs he needs to become those guys. He needs to become. Uh, somebody who's going to hit those lines drive. He needs to be looking towards Whit Merrifield as a sort of, and that's what it, actually what he was doing when he decided to put more muscle on was look look towards Whit Merrifield as a as a model for what he could become. But the thing is, he'll never have as much power as Whit Merrifield currently has. Um, he needs to be thinking. Or here's a here's a comp, right? Why didn't we think of this one, Alcides Escobar, right? Like, why didn't we think of um, him as a comp, right? A guy who yeah. was never elite fast. I mean, he was pretty fast early in his career, but got slower as he got older. Um, yeah. Now you'd want to have way more uh, on base ability than Alcides Escobar, a much more patient hitter than Alcides Escobar, but Escobar knew how to get the ball in the air occasionally. And in his worst seasons, he didn't, right? Like, so like if you could have a profile that's sort of Escobar-like, 
um, but was sort of more interested in hitting the ball in the air, uh, especially aligned drives, then I think you're talking about uh, somebody who could be competent with enough with the bat to, to play every day. Uh, yeah. Can we, can we stop for a moment just to recognize episode one, we already have a Ryan Terrio reference. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm pumped. Like, wow. The riot. I mean, we're gonna, I we're thought gonna go... he was going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> He was pretty uh, good. You know, he was he, okay. I, I, I mean, would say he exceeded expectations. That's for sure. Not mine. Another guy. <laughs> <laughs> Most people's expectations. Uh, yeah, we're gonna go deep cuts all the time here. So you know, we're just gonna we're gonna pull out random players from the '90s and 2000s that we remember from our early days of watching baseball. Um, wait, for, wait for the Adam Dunn. Oh no, uh, who was that other guy? I liked. I thought he was gonna change, turn the Reds around when I was a kid. Uh, Austin Kearns. I oh, thought Austin Kearns was going to be the guy, man. You and so many others. Uh, <laughs> and so... Got to take down yeah, my so, Austin Kearns poster one pin at a time. <laughs> See what I can get for this on eBay. Yeah. Uh, so for Lopez, though, I, what, what, what we're thinking about, what I think about is like, well, what does he have to do with the bat to stay in the lineup, right? To, to keep getting playing time. For me, for me, he's got to be in the 740 OPS range at least like, or above, right? He's got to be in the 320, 330 or above OBP range uh, in order to sort of let his offense play enough to let him play. Because he does play a gold glove level second base, right? And that's important to the Royals. They really care about that. And that is an important thing. But, you know, you can't go out and hit, you know, 220 and with a, with a 280 on base and expect to be in a lineup every day. It's just not going to work. No, yeah, agreed. We'll be we'll be naming the the Nicky Lopez League at the AAA level, you know, because <laughs> he, he crushes it down there. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so who's up next? I, I was going to do MJ Melendez. All right, go for MJ Melendez. Oh, another another one that got the poster up of him too. I I, I had concerns with him coming out of high school. Um, I I did not love his swing, but boy, he came in. Hold on. For those for those who don't know who MJ Melendez is, could you tell us who he is for oh, the yeah, non-diehards? Sure. Non-diehards here. MJ Melendez drafted, I don't even remember. 2017, uh, I think. 2017, okay. Out of high school, out of Florida. I believe his dad, his dad is a college baseball coach. I don't. I thought he was a hitting coach, but how you could let your son have that swing coming out is beyond me. Uh, so maybe he is, maybe I'm, I've confused him with somebody else, but a uh, phenomenal catcher coming out of high school. Like, Every report was this kid is not maybe not major league ready at the catching position, but darn close already. Um, you know, good receiver, great arm down to second. Um, so everybody's like, yeah, this is great. Well, not only that, he's got some raw power. Well, there you go. I mean, you got a catcher that's a great defensive catcher and has raw power. He can tap into that. We're gold. And it looked like he was going to that first year at 2018 was okay. He, he, he was hitting the crap out of the ball, but his strikeout rate was high. It was 30% strikeout rate. And so everybody's talking after 2018, all this kid has to do is lower that strikeout rate a little bit. It doesn't have to be a ton. It just has to be a little because he's now then a catcher who can hit the ball with power and play you a, a almost gold, maybe gold level, level defensive catcher. And so everybody's looking, oh, this is going to be great. 2019 comes, he gets sent to Wilmington, where like all of our prospects went to die that year. Where hitters hitting, go to hitting die. Prospect. W- yeah. Wilmington, and, Delaware, stay yeah. away from <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and I And the crazy thing is, 
like we had some pictures there that year that did really well. They all um, do well. All the pictures do well. <laughs> and I get that. And I'd heard before this, you know, Wilmington's a really tough place to hit. Um, but, you know, what makes it even harder is when you strike out every damn time, you know? And the, all those dudes that year, Prado, Matias, and MJ Melendez, they struck out a ton. And I don't know what league that was in. I can't remember. That's but Carolina League. Carolina League. Did did we have every all-star pitching prospect in the Carolina League that year? I don't think we did. Um, and so he, he struck out 39% of the time that, that doesn't play anywhere. You can't do that anywhere. Um, he hit like 180 something. It was, it was bad. Um, so the question that I kind of have at the end of my like list of things to talk about from MJ Melendez is his swing mechanically sound enough to improve this. Cause it, there's times it, and, and you can attest to this cause you watch a lot of minor league baseball too. There's times when it looks like his pitch recognition is, isn't bad. It's like, oh, that's a strike, misses, like right down the pipe, like right down the pipe. You're you're a professional baseball player. That guy just hummed you in a fastball. We actually went and saw a game he played in uh, out in Virginia, I think, together. Right down the pipe, swing and miss. It's like, what do you? You can't hit a fastball. You're you're not going to make it anywhere. Okay, um, so I'm really looking at what is he going to do this year to make a change to improve that contact. Uh, I think he's, he, he's an athletic guy. He's not a, not a blob back there. So I think he's going to be capable athletically of making those changes. I don't want to say, you know, Hey, you're not going to give up on a prospect like MJ Melendez, especially because he's got the catching ability, but this year is going to be extremely important for him. He needs to hit more. He needs to bring those strikeout numbers down so that he can put the damn ball in play. Yeah. I think, people talk about whether or not his swing is a grooved swing one where he has difficulty controlling yeah. the barrel enough to, to get to the ball, wherever it's thrown inside the strike zone, even. Um, yeah. That's, that's the perplexing thing about him. You watch MJ Melinda at bats or MJ Melinda's at bats and you will see fastballs thrown in the strike zone that he cannot touch. And I don't know if it's a timing issue. I don't know if he has trouble with heat. I don't think that's it. I think I he's, I think, I think he just, has trouble putting the bat on the ball in the strike zone because his swing is pretty grooved. I think, I think that's what it is. I think he's got this, it's an up, it's kind of an uppercut swing. And, and that's, that's where the a lot thing of his I power comes on. from. Yeah. That's where a lot of his power comes from. Yeah. Uh, he's got a lot of lift in that swing, a lot of loft in that swing. Um, but like some guys like, you know, uh, Matias has this problem quite a bit too. Uh, he just has trouble literally making contact with the ball and if you can't, if you strike out 39% of the time, yeah, there's no, there's just no, there's no, there's nothing to do with that. The thing that concerns me the most is, so you hear, hear a lot about Prado um, at the alternative site and sort of the uh, advances he's made, the growth that he's shown and yeah, that he showed he last year. And then he's done pretty well during spring training mm-hmm. too. Yeah, uh, he, had a, he had a bomb yesterday, I think. Um, and so that's that's sort of nice you're not hearing the same kind of enthusiasm about what melendez has done there and so i I agree with you it will be a very important year for him it'll be interesting to see where they start him is he gonna go to uh high a which i forget the name of their new high a affiliate yeah um but it's not it's not wilmington he'll be out of wilmington no matter what like no more wilmington for mj melendez is that the Um, one columbus it might be columbus i can't remember um but uh yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they put him. I really don't know that sending him to Northwest Arkansas, their double A affiliate, is the best move for him. I don't know that he's ready to face that pitching. I don't like that's a big step up 
the high A to double A step. So you might want to send him to whatever, whoever your high A affiliate is now, uh, send them there for at least a month and let him sort of gain some confidence, let him hit some pitching there. And if he does say, okay, we're ready to move you after a month because we know your catching ability is really advanced. Um, I do have, I do see people question his receiving ability quite a bit. He's got the rocket for an arm, um, but he's a good enough receiver and he's got the great arm that he's going to be fine. Uh, good blocker of the ball. Pretty good. Anyway. Um, I don't know if he's Salvador Perez blocking the ball, but he's pretty good. Um, and so if he can find that bat and then, and consistently make contact strike out 25% of the time, that's fine. Right. Because uh, the power is going to make up for that. But uh, 39%, that's, that's not going to play. Agreed. Let's see here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to the major league level to another guy who strikes out to way too much, way too much. <laughs> uh, and that's Michael A. Taylor. And this will be the final one we talk about, final player we talk about. Who's um, actually hitting right now. <laughs> okay. So I knew somebody <laughs> would bring this up. I knew somebody would be like, oh, but he's doing great. He's going to be great. Right. Uh, and the weird thing about it is, People are talking about this signing like, oh, it's it's like it's on the level of signing Carlos Santana or trading for Andrew Benintendi. They're putting him in that group. And I'm like, why? Because he was signed early in the offseason? Like, like he is not that kind of player, right? They, they signed him for $1.75 million. That's what they got Gerard Dyson for yesterday. You know, like, and he's like the end of his career and nobody else would take him. Like, um, though so we it, love him. Dude, big, we love him. Fan. I love Gerard Big Dyson. fans Huge on this, uh, Gerard this Dyson show. Fan. Huge. I just like to um, hang out with him for an evening. A bad word will never be said about Gerard Dyson on this never. podcast. Never. Um, and so, but Michael A. Taylor, Gerard Dyson, he is not for, for one. <laughs> like he's not Gerard Dyson in his prime either. And so I don't know why people are talking about the signing. Like, oh, they've, they've done this to improve their, their team. I'm like, does it though? Like, does this improve their team significantly or at all? Um, so let's talk about how he's been hitting lately. Um, if you go to baseball references uh, stats page for him, they have this little thing called a, oh, I forget what it's called exactly, but essentially it, it's, um, it measures the uh, quality of the pitching that you're facing during spring training. And right now he's got about a seven on a one to 10 scale. Uh, and a seven is double A pitching. So he is facing about double A level pitching. Uh, which yes, you would expect him to crush. So yes, he is crushing double A pitching at this point. Um, but I'm not sold that he's going to continue to hit throughout the year. I hope he will, right? Like I, you know, we know that he's got the athletic ability. We know he's strong and has some power out of his bat. We know that like he plays up good enough center field. It's not great, right? Like, um, and so I'm just I'm, I'm I want to watch him. I want to follow him because. Like Nicky Lopez, his success and Nicky Lopez's success will really determine how far the Royals go, right? Like um, we can talk about like Santana and Benatendi and all these guys. And if they don't have success, then we're talking about a 95 loss season. But if, if all the guys people expect to hit hit, then it comes down to Nicky Lopez and Michael A. Taylor, right? And the question is, what, what can you do with two black holes at the bottom of your lineup, right? Two nearly automatic outs, Right. Um, if, if, but if those guys aren't automatic outs, if they can, you know, scrape together enough on base ability, enough uh, offensive production to, to, to somehow lift the team or help the team a little bit and not just be this dr huge drain on, on the offensive output, then, then the Royals could actually do something interesting. They could be competitive, not like necessarily competing for a wild card spot, but they can stay in it for a while. They can play competitive baseball on a regular basis. Um, 
but I'm not 100% sold that Taylor can do that. And I'm not sold that Lopez can do that though. I have liked how Lopez has played uh, this spring and Taylor for that matter. Um, even though it's been against subpar pitching, um, you can only beat the competition they put out there against you. And so he has done yeah. that to this point. I do want to make a point about Taylor's defense as well, right? People cite it as like, well, they need him to play defense in that huge cavernous ball field. And I'm like, when did we were under the impression that he's a great defender? Like uh, if you look at his stats as a defender last year, they were bad. Uh, they weren't any better than anybody we could get to replace him. Uh, his defense, uh, he has, he has one defensive run saved in the last two seasons in center field. He has been worth one defensive run saved last year. He was worth minus one. Um, in center field. So the question then becomes like, what's the difference between Michael Taylor and Nick Heath, right? Like Nick Heath is, was worth one defensive run save last year in 15 games, right? Nick Heath is probably a better defender than Michael A. Taylor at this point, right? There's no, there's no, there's not a body of evidence that says that Michael A. Taylor is a better defender than Nick Heath, right? Uh, and certainly not a better defender than some other, maybe more established defenders like, uh, like Dyson or something like that. And so well, although Dyson's defensive metrics have been tanking recently too, as he gets older and starts slowing down. Um, but I just, I think this narrative that Taylor is somehow a great defender and that's going to keep him in the lineup. To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it doesn't make sense to keep him in the lineup and let him be a drain offensively when he's a average to below average defender. So I, I agree completely with that. Um, if that happens, if Taylor and Lopez are not producing at all, in those first few months, I would like to, or maybe even half a season, I would like to see Kyle Isbell come up and get that opportunity because it, he's not going to give you a gold glove center field. Um, he just is, he's not going to cover that kind of ground. He's fast, but he's not crazy fast. Um, but he's competent enough at all outfield positions and he's not going to give you nothing at the plate. It's just not going to happen. He walks, he'll get you hits. Um, he, he puts, I mean, this for a couple of years now, he's been, when he's healthy anyway, uh, he's put, uh, professional at bats together every single time. Um, so yeah, that's something I, and, and I, and I'm obviously, I, I got that from somewhere else. I got to give credit to, uh, Royals Farm Report podcast. I heard that today. They were, one of the guests they had on was like, Hey, I, you know, if, uh, if those two don't perform, I think they even mentioned those two specifically, say, hey, if they, they don't perform, then Kyle Isbell should get a shot, at least in the sense that you know he's not going to be nothing. He's a tough out, at least at the plate. Yeah, and I don't wonder if the signing of Michael A. Taylor was done with that in mind, right? Like, was done with the notion that if he hits, if he performs, we can flip him, right, very easily. Mm -hmm. I, I, I see him as a placeholder anyway. He's just on, he's on a one-year deal, no matter what. So, like, for some reason, people talk about him like he's like now a royal, like in the sense of like he's going to be here for ten years. He's thirty years old, or he's about to be. He'll be thirty years old by the time the season regular season starts. Um, he's he's a he's a rental. He's basically just holding Kyle Isbell's place. I think the Royals love Kyle Isbell. I think they are obsessed with him. Like, like, like me? Like, yes. I think I think like you, they spend many a night on his lawn with binoculars in their eyes. Right? Like, uh, and so I think like. I think Dayton Moore loves Kyle Isbell and I think he's just waiting to give him a major league job, right? Like, and so I, I think, I really hope he stays healthy. That, that hamate bone injury, man, that really sort of 
yeah, derailed our ability to get data on Kyle Isbell to see sort of like, what does it look like when he puts a full season together in a more advanced place? Like, uh, I want to see it. Um, he's got the Arizona fall league. He did pretty well in, but that's so such a small sample size. Um, so I want to see, you know, Dayton Moore sets 40 games as like the, the marker of what we, we, we start evaluating what to do with guys after 40 games. Um, and so I think Taylor will get 40 games and it'll be like, how's Isbell doing? And if he's doing great, uh, then I think they'll be like, maybe it's time for a switch. If Taylor's not hitting, if he's hitting great, right? Like if he came out, he, you know, he's found something and spring training is a, is a precursor to a, a great, a great season. Fantastic. You flip him at some point and you, you know, bring up Isbell if he's hitting too. But yeah. uh, if, if he's struggling, I think that's, that's sort of what they're counting on or they're hedging their bets in, in that way. Yeah. All right, so those are the players that we um, are sort of excited to see this year, uh, follow along with and, and, and see their progress. That's uh, hopefully uh, we see a lot of great performances and we can talk about a uh, World Series championship now, <laughs> uh, at least a competitive season of baseball. I'll settle for that. Uh, uh, and, and we'll uh, be back in just a moment with uh, a preview of this next week's games as we sort of look towards the second full week of spring training. Okay, so this next week, we'll uh, see a night, another slate of uh, a games, meaningless games, uh, fun, meaningless games. At this point, who knows uh, how tired you are of them being meaningless. Uh, I, I enjoy spring training in all its forms. Hopefully, some of these will be televised. I really want to watch them. Uh, but coming up this week, we have the Padres, we have the A's, and the Padres will be tomorrow. We're taping this Sunday night or Saturday night. Um, typically, we'll, we'll, t- we'll tape on Sundays. Uh, but the Padres tomorrow, maybe we'll run into Eric Cosmer and, and, and that crew out there. Uh, the A's, the Mariners, the Reds, the Brewers, and the Cubs, uh, I think on Sunday of next week. Uh, and so what are you sort of looking at uh, in this next week? Uh, what do you want to see from this Royals club in their second full week of spring training? Uh, well, first thing I really, really want to see is the game Monday. Uh, I think it, I saw the pitching match much has come up a little earlier today. And I think it's like uh, Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch back to back on those days. I'm like, well, got to figure out a way to see that. I don't know how, I don't know what, I don't know who I'm going to have to bribe or whose computer I'm going to have to hack or whose login I'm going to have to borrow or whatever. But uh, I would really, really, really like to see that game. I have not seen Singer pitch yet this spring. I I mean, I don't even know he has pitched. I I think he was, I think his sort of term in the rotation came up against the White Sox and they chose not to pitch him because it was going to be against the White Sox. They had him throw like a, uh, in, in some sort of inter-squad game basically uh, after the game was over. Uh, Gotcha. So yeah. Yeah. Hooey. That's what I say. Um, (laughs) So, but the thing I'm really looking for this coming up week is consistency of starting pitching. Um, When Keller gets a chance to go, can he tighten it up a little bit? He got knocked around a little bit the other day, but I didn't think it was because of a whole lot of big problems or anything. I thought he, his stuff was actually decent. He was yeah. just missing outside the zone, barely. And so he was getting behind in counts a lot, uh, but I didn't think he was missing by a lot. I was like, man, that looked like a good pitch to me, especially left-handed hitters. He couldn't get anything on the outside corner from that, that umpire. So, um, so I, you know, looking, can Keller tighten it up? Can we see, uh, can we see a better, performers out of Bubich. Um, I really want to see what Junis brings. Um, yeah, that, that cutter looked better. I, I didn't think he looked great, great in the last time I saw him, but I want to see the cutter more is basically all. Um, and I can't remember. Yeah, I, he's want, I want to see the change up. They say that that article from Alec Lewis, where he talks about Junis working with his brother uh, over the off season to, uh, to get to sort of 
refine his changeup, which he ne- hardly ever threw. Yeah, um, he has one. I didn't even know he had one. He, I think technically <laughs> he did, uh, <laughs> um, but he changed his grip, and and they were hyping this changeup like it's like it's really good now. And then they brought up the cutter too. I was like, and they got this good cutter. Threw a bunch of cutters in that first one. I didn't see any changeups. I, I heard somebody say he threw one or a couple, but I didn't see any. Uh, which it's not yeah. good if you can't tell that it's a changeup uh, yeah. because you want to see the type of tumble and fade that says, Oh man, that's a changeup. Um, yeah. And so uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see the changeup when Junis pitches again. I want to see that pitch. I, I just want to see more of the cutter. I, I really do. Uh, I think if he's going to, if he's going to be a rotation guy, I think that's going to be the key because he's got the slider already. We know that that's a high grade pitch. It's his nail to hang his hat on, but if he can get a cutter to go in on left-handed hitters, um, I think, I think that's going to be the key. So I want to see that. Can Mike Miner come out and do what he did today again? He's great. Um, can, you know, what are the, what are those starting, starting guys going to look like? That's really what I'm looking forward to seeing this week. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with pitching too, for this week. Um, my, I'm looking at the young pitchers, the minor league guys. I want to see Lynch. I've I, I got that singer Lynch day marked in my calendar as well. Uh, I want to see Coar's next uh, outing. I think, It'll be better than it was yesterday. Um, but the question is how much better and how, how does that fastball play? I'm watching Coar's fastball like, you know, like it's my newborn child. I, I, want, I, want, to, uh, I want to watch and see if it, if it progresses. Um, and so I'll be looking at that and then I'll be looking at Bubich too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not as high on Bubich as you are. Um, yeah, I'm I... not convinced that he's going to be anything – remarkable i'm not convinced he can put guys away uh yeah you know what he is he's what we talked about with nicky lopez he's kind of a scrapper and that's probably why i like him so much royals if there's a pitcher it's, i heard somebody comp him to uh jason vargas the other day i'm like no, if you're left-handed no. and you throw a change up they comp him to jason vargas. that's how it works <laughs> like, really. yeah this is like no that, he's not even close to jason vargas he, he, yeah no um, they throw completely differently really. yeah completely yeah just not not even close to the same and Vargas was a command guy for most of his career. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like That's what Bubich needs to get to. Like he needs to become a command guy. Then his fastball, which is better than what Vargas's was most of his well, career. It's, it's harder, right? Like yeah. I don't know that it's better. Right? Yeah. That's it's true. a he little bit it harder. harder. Yeah. A little um, bit, not a ton, right? Like, not a ton. No. Um, but yeah, so uh, I am a, I am a fan of Chris Bubich likely because he is a, a scrapper. He's a lefty that does not throw very hard, uh, has one really good pitch and uh, has a chance to, to, to you know fight it out so and i hope he does i hope i hope we start to see that that command uh take shape i mean it's early in spring training still so these guys are still getting their arms in shape they're still working on stuff so uh if they can tighten that command up i'd love to see i'd love to see him take a step forward because i think if you get a tick above major league average from him uh and the ability to go five or six consistently uh that's a great thing piece to have in a rotation right Uh, i want dallas keichel you want me dallas keichel that's a lot to ask. <laughs> that is a lot to ask of Bubich. And his profile just looks nothing like Keichel's. Um, they're both left-handed. They're, they're both, both left-handed. Not giants. I, uh, neither, neither I will look like a hard. genius when but he Keichel's becomes a, Dallas. Keichel's a ground ball machine. Yeah, uh, he is. Bubich yeah. isn't. <laughs> no, not right now. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think he's – he's. it's it's weird because Bubich is that fairly rare soft tossing lefty who is also a strikeout pitcher like that was his mo he led the minor leagues in strikeouts one year i think um and so uh back in 2000 i guess 18 2019 back in 2019 um and so that's a weird combination you don't see that all that often and so but the change up the big change up plays in the lower level of the minors man 
You got it's going to play. It's going to play more there. Than it, it's going to play more there than it does at the major league level. Um, <laughs> Certainly. But if he tightens up that command, I think I think it'll like that. Just that makes everything so much better, right? Like that makes that changeup better. That makes that curveball better. They can't eliminate pitches. Um, yeah, and it, and he had some success last year throwing high fastballs for strikeouts as well. So you know, it's just it's all about can you get that ball in the strike zone where you want it consistently. Get them, get some early pitch out, some early uh, at bat outs, and go deeper into games. Um, yeah. And so I'm hoping for that for him. I'll look for that in his next time out as well. Um, but now we'll move into our uh, final segment, uh, just about outside. Everybody's been looking forward to this one. Uh, so Mike could share just his thoughts. Just, I, I, I was this close to watching Major League last night. I mean, uh, like, this close. He tried the corner and missed. I, I don't know why I didn't pull the trigger. I, uh, you know. It, but I did watch the trailer, which looks just classically like 80s voiceover. I oh, love yeah. it so much. And I'll tell you uh, what's underrated in that movie, the music. It is. Yeah. Andy, Randy Newman. It is. Randy Newman. Just, Randy, Randy Newman, yeah. The man, the man can Great, do yeah. a film score. Like, that's, that's his MO. The man can do anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> the man can do anything. <laughs> I put him in a perm. It was perfect. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 maybe I'll pull the trigger tonight. It's just so good. Uh, and it so, uh, but our just outside segment begins with Mike uh, telling us what's on his mind this week outside of baseball. Okay. So I had to mention this, our lovely host, my brother, Mark, uh, did not want me to originally I had this idea that we would both have these cool podcast nicknames. <laughs> all right. And in the little rundown here, it says eliminated by the Dick tutorial. And I stress Dick tutorial host of this podcast so i'm not going to share with you our sweet nicknames if you, you want to share the nicknames them, if you want we're never going to mention nicknames? them again we're never okay. going to mention them again I actually i actually kind of tried them out on a friend of ours this past weekend in pittsburgh kansas uh, shout out to coach matt nelson uh, i tried them out on him he thought they were great uh mind you we had had a few uh drinks prior to sharing this but uh i was going to call him dr thick all right because he has a phd he's not mr thick he's dr thick <laughs> Okay. And I was going to be the sweet meat. Okay. So Dr. Thick and the sweet meat, you can't go wrong there. There's nothing wrong with that. That is perfect uh, podcast wonderfulness. But he said, I couldn't bring those up. He said, we couldn't use the cool podcast nicknames. So never be mentioned again, just a bit outside. I've, I've been obsessed with tiny homes recently. And, and that's just who I am. I own a normal sized home um, in just outside of uh, Lee Summit, Missouri. Uh, but I've been obsessed with tiny homes. Like I found a website where I can design them and stuff. I've been checking them out. Like I've been going to like places to look at city codes to see if they will allow tiny homes and things like that. I like the idea of being uh, living in a more efficient space in a space that's better for the environment and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's been my, my thing that I've been obsessed with for the last, uh, it's been long, it's been a long time. It's been like three weeks. <laughs> yeah Long so someday you'll figure out that you're too large to fit in a tiny home <laughs> I know. oh man it would not be it's good it's not gonna be good uh <laughs> and your wife will eventually just leave you yeah um and it's so, coming anyway but yeah it's coming anyway uh, let's be real <laughs> you're gonna live with me in, in virginia soon yeah um so I, I've been obsessed with this book I've been reading lately. It's a, it's a biography of Catherine the Great, actually, uh, which is, I only read, really read history books, but like uh, the weird thing I find about it is like, it's at the, roughly the same time as the American Revolution. And so the weird thing is like the way she's treated, there's just all these weird like rules and norms of that time. So there's a story about like, she gives birth to her first child on her bedroom floor. And like they, the, the, the woman who's empress at the time, uh, I believe uh, now I'm going to get her name wrong. I want to say Elizabeth. Um, 
takes the kid and just leaves and they just leave her lying on the floor for like hours like they all just like ooh, they're really interested in the kid and they're like yay kid and then this woman is on the floor having just given birth uh for like three hours all i can um, think is wash your hands well, yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, that's, they talk they mentioned bleeding people like once every other page right uh, so <laughs> someone is always getting bled in this book so, it may uh, or may not weird. be how george washington died i mean this is what's crazy there. like it's it's fun for me to watch these like these methods for different things like oh this is science people uh it's fantastic i love it um, uh, if you ever get a so, chance there's a good book on benjamin but dr benjamin rush who was around during the his founding father if you will uh he yeah they talk about he's a doctor though and they talk about that stuff oh it is messed up <laughs> but yeah if you want to read a great and also very weird book where people like assassinate each other and uh, it's just all intrigue and it's, it's just narratively written. It's just a beautiful book. Um, I highly recommend, uh, let me get the title so that I don't get it wrong. Cause I just been calling it the bio- my biography of Catherine the great, uh, which is obviously not the title. And I'll share uh, this with called, you. Oh, I'll share this real quick before he finds the title. He it's, told it's me, just called hey, Catherine the great. Oh, just called Catherine the great. I like to keep it simple like that. You shared that with me that you're reading this book and I'm like, well, I already know everything about Russian history, so I don't really need to read it. Um, but I do love that time period, just about anywhere around the world. It's fun to study those things. There's so much transition with the Enlightenment and all that stuff um, that's going on. So yeah, keep reading history. Read history, people. History books yeah. are fun. I don't know if you know this, but as a country, we're, uh, we're not doing great. We're pretty dumb these days. So uh, go out there I, and learn something. Yeah, go out and learn something. Like you've been learning about Royals baseball for this, for this entire podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you Put for joining us at Royals. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us uh, this week on royals weekly uh come back next time don't forget to rate and review us subscribe and follow us on twitter at royals weekly and we'll see you again next week go royals <laughs>